Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good morning, everyone. It is Wednesday, January the 24th, 2024. It is currently 1128 a.m. Central Time, and I am coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Now, many of you know I have COVID. I have been very sick. I feel about almost 100% better except for one very specific area, and that is my throat. That is that which is going to impact my ability to speak and to talk. I'm still COVID positive, but I am hoping that's all coming to an end. I I don't have a fever. I don't have all the other, you know, symptoms that I had, but it's been very frustrating because you start feeling better, but then you're just like, all I want to do is be able to turn on the microphone and broadcast and try to catch up because it's been so long since I've been in front of this microphone, but then you know you're going to start talking, and then you're, you're going to be, you're going to have to start swallowing, your throat's going to be making all kinds of weird sounds, the microphone's going to be picking them up, or you're going to have to do this. You're going to have to mute the uh, microphone while you start coughing. I'm hoping none of those things occur. I'm hoping. I'm hoping. But even if none of those things occur, you can probably hear it in my voice. I still don't sound normal, which is frustrating. So I've just been trying to figure out exactly the best way to proceed today. We're not going to have in-person services since I'm still testing positive for COVID. So we're, we're not going to do that tonight. So that means I feel like, wow, let's see. Sunday we didn't uh, Sunday night we didn't have services then Wednesday we didn't have services and now here we are um to, back to another Wednesday well, well see no we had uh, I take that back we so we had we we canceled a Sunday night then we canceled a Wednesday then we canceled all of a Sunday and now we're about to cancel another Wednesday and that's horrible 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 so I feel like I need to be making up hours upon hours of teaching but you know can I? We will see. I feel I feel somewhat hopefully optimistic, but we're going to proceed. So here's what I was able to do on Monday. I was able to turn on the microphone briefly and say, hey, the lectionary reading today is Mark or the gospel reading for, from the lectionary is Mark chapter three verses. I think it started in 22 down to maybe 30. And I told everyone, well, we're going to back that up and look at Mark chapter three, verses 20 to 30. And then I gave you uh, some assignments, right? The first assignment, as I told you to look up three random sermons on the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And I wanted you to listen and hear different perspectives. Also said to do an observational outline on Mark chapter three, verses 20 through 30. So I, I challenged everyone to work on all of that. Hopefully you have, hopefully that's been beneficial. So what I want to do to kind of ease back Back into, I, I can't say catching up because there's no real catching up from anything, but to try to ease back into broadcasting, here's what I thought we would do. Let's work on Mark chapter three, verses 20 and following. Instead of going right to the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit question, instead of going right into that controversy, let's step back and look at the beginning of this section because I think there's something very important to it. So let me first read Mark chapter 3, verses 20. Let's go to 26. 
Mark chapter 3, verses 20 through 26, we read these words, And the multitude cometh together again, so that they could not so much as eat bread. And when his friend, and when his friends heard of it, they went out to lay hold on him, for they said, He is beside himself. And the scribes which came down from Jerusalem said, He hath Beelzebub, and by the prince of devils casteth he out devils. And he called them unto him, and said unto them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? And if a kingdom be divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan rise up against himself and be divided, he cannot stand but hath an end. Now, I want to focus on today this idea of a divided kingdom. Let me read that to you again. So starting in verse 20, the multitude cometh together again so that they could not so much as eat bread. And when his friends heard of it, they went out to lay hold on him for they said he is beside himself. The scribes which came down from Jerusalem said he hath Beelzebub and by the prince of devils cast he out devils. He called unto them a parable. He called unto them and began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? And here's the key verses. And if a kingdom be divided... Against itself, that kingdom can not stand. And if a house be divided against itself, that house can not stand. I want to talk about a divided kingdom. And to do this, I chose a random sermon that we're going to be listening to called United We Stand. So they're going to look at the united part. I want to focus on the divided part. But I, I want us to just consider this. When we think about this parable, this these words that Jesus spoke to them about Satan and about a, the, a kingdom being divided, I want us to think on what that could mean for us. What does it mean for Christianity? What does it mean for your church? What does it mean for your individual Christian life? Let me read the words again. And if a kingdom be divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. Does this, does this principle, does this idea of being divided, you cannot stand, is this principle, is this idea does it only apply to, in a sense, the kingdom of Satan, or does it apply in some way, shape, or form to the kingdom of God? Does this only apply to the kingdom of Satan, or does this apply to Christianity, to the church? How does this apply to your own Christian life? So when I was reading this and I started thinking, you know, okay, I'm going to work on a, kind of an observational outline, this part really fascinated me. And I was thought, I thought I was just going to be going directly through it to get to the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which is the topic I've given everyone. But this divided part, this divided part, I really started thinking about it. And I started thinking about it first and foremost in light of Christianity. Well, let me just give you, well, some interesting statistics. There are more, this is from one source, there are more than 45 thousand Christian denominations globally and more than 200 in the United States. 45,000, 
45,000. Now, it's always difficult in breaking these numbers down. Well, there's 200 in the U.S. Well, then 200 doesn't sound so bad, but that's 200 denominations in the United States. And then when you get to independent churches or even churches that are part of a denomination, but all of the churches are somewhat autonomous. Southern Baptist, that's one denomination, but all the churches are autonomous. That's why you can walk into one Southern Baptist church and you're like, this is almost... I think this is this is greatly influenced by charismatic theology. And you walk, can walk into another Southern Baptist church and it's very reformed and it's soteriology and as far away from charismatic as you can get. You walk into one Southern Baptist church and it's like, like a, an evangelical, seeker-sensitive kind of church. You can walk into another and it's like an independent fundamental Baptist church. It is radically different. So whatever the number is, 45,000, 200, 500, 300, 700, 800, whatever the number is, you can, we can get into an argument about the number, but here's a reality. Christianity is divided. Christianity is a, it's a, it's an ocean of division. It's an ocean of schism. It is, it is a universe of division. It's like a never ending civil war with so many factions and groups fighting amongst themselves. And everyone thinks they're right. There's lordship versus non-lordship. There's, there's Augustinian versus Pelagian. There's Calvinist versus Arminian. Now you just go on and on and on and on and on and on the divisions. There are pre-mill, post-trib, uh, pre-trib, post-trib. There's amillennial, premillennial. There's, I mean, you can just go on and on. Covenant theology, dispensational. You, I, we could just, I mean, there is literally no, agree, there, no, one, no one agrees on baptism. No one agrees on the Lord's Supper. No one agrees on the church structure. No one agrees on even the word repentance. No one agrees even on salvation. There is no unifying creed. There's no unifying confession. There's no un, uni, There's not even a unifying hermeneutical system that we can agree on. There's no a unified interpretation. There's not even a unified system of interpretation. There is no unified anything. It is division and schism. So how that that reality? When I read these words again. And he called them unto him and said unto them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom be divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. Now, Jesus says that in an emphatic, dogmatic way. But for 2,000 years, Christianity has divided and then 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 divided. Just go find anywhere where you can find a bunch of Christians on social media. Listen to them argue and fight. This pastor's a heretic. No, you're a heretic. No, you're a heretic. No, you don't understand. You don't understand. If you only knew how to read your Bible, if you know how to read your Bible, you're a joke. You're a, and then on and 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 on. Just read the comments section under a Christian article. This one Christian will be like, they don't know what they're talking about. And, and this problem is because of this doctrine. No, this problem is because of this doctrine. No, this problem is because of your group. No, this problem is because of your group. Just never ending. So, if we have a scripture saying, whoa, 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 wait, wait, you know, if we have a scripture that says these words again, if a kingdom be divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. Now, Jesus is specifically focused on Satan, his kingdom, 
But how does this principle apply to this thing we call Christianity? How does this principle apply to this thing we call the church? Now, what typically I feel most Christians do is they say, well, the world is divided and the world is in chaos and the world is in confusion. But us in Christ, we are one. There is one body, one faith. And we we really try to emphasize at times this so-called unity. And, And most, at least in the Protestant world, we find this unity in the invisible church. See, if you're a Christian and I'm a Christian, we are brothers and sisters in the invisible church. Well, that's wonderful and that's great. But what does that even mean? That that literally is one of the things that theoretically it makes you feel good. It's like, well, see, there is unity, but we don't even agree on who's in the invisible church. Okay. Well, anyone is truly saved, but we don't agree on who's saved or who's not saved because we're always throwing people out of the kingdom of God. That, that, that invisible church doesn't meet. That invisible church does not have a doctrinal statement. So it's easy to pretend that there's some kind of unity when it's just this theoretical form of unity, but in practice, churches divide constantly and split. People leave all the time. People are always leaving churches, always. At any given moment in any church, there's someone frustrated and irritated. And if they're not on their way out, they're, they're either causing trouble, talking, gossip, slandering, and, and sooner or later, they're going to leave. So what, how do I take that reality and then read Mark chapter three? Now I know in Mark chapter three, we want to get to the, to the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, but what about this? Again, let me read it to you one more time. And if a kingdom be divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. How does the reality of the division and the disunity and the schism within the, in the world of Christianity, how does that reality impact you when you read Mark chapter three? Well, I don't know if this sermon is going to answer our questions because, you know, I don't uh, listen to them in advance, but this is a random one I chose. Uh, clearly, I listened to the first part of it. It is on this section. And once again, it's called United We Stand. So it's going to be talking about, I'm assuming, this very concept. So I'm curious to see where we're going to, where this is going to go. So let's listen. Again, this is taken from the Sermons 2.0 app. So this fits in with our Sermons 2.0 app challenge. This fits in with our lectionary study because Mark chapter 3 was a part of the lectionary reading on, was it uh, Tuesday, I believe. And so this all fits together in some way, shape, or form. I've given you kind of a Bible study exercise to do an observational outline on this section. Uh, I gave you three sermons. I uh, told you to pick three random sermons. So there's a lot of things going on, even though there's been this long delay because I've been out. But hey, here we go. Let's jump in. The good thing about doing a sermon review is after this lengthy introduction, well, there'll be a lot of me hitting hitting play, muting my microphone. So if I need to cough or anything like that, hey, see, it won't interrupt anything because it'll be while someone else is talking. So I think this could be good. So are you ready? Mark chapter three. You know the verses. I've read them now like 15 times, Okay. Uh, that was on purpose, right? That first part is very interesting. I want to work on verse, well, never mind. I, 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 right now, we'll just focus on the division part. We'll just focus on the division part. All right, here, we, 
chapter 3 and verse number 25. And uh, well, matter of fact, we'll back up. We'll start in the verse number 20. And we'll read down. Uh, the Bible says in verse number 20 of the Gospel of Mark, chapter number 3, uh, the Bible says, And the multitude uh, come together again so uh, that they could not so much as eat bread. And when his friends, how about Jesus, and when his friends heard of it, uh, they went out to lay hold on him, for they said, he is beside himself. Those two words there mean to be insane. He's out of his mind. And the scribes, which came down from Jerusalem, saith, said, he hath Beelzebub, and by the prince of devils casteth he out devils. And he called them, Jesus talking, and he called them unto him and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? And if a kingdom be divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan rise up against himself and be divided, he cannot stand, but hath an end. We'll stop there. Our text is verse 125. And if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. We'll talk tonight, this this morning, this little thought. United we stand, divided we fall. Father, I pray. Okay, so he went right for the verse that I kept reading, or one of the verses I kept reading. I'm going to read it one more time. And if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. United we stand, divided we fall. Now he's going to go into the prayer. You know, as we listen to this prayer, I'm probably going to say something because, well, I have have this never-ending issue with prayers the pastors give before their sermons and after their sermons, right? I have plenty of issues with it, and I bet I'm going to have one here. Let's see. In the name of Jesus, that your Holy Spirit will speak to our hearts. I pray and ask God that you draw us into thy presence. I pray God to reveal to us the truth that you'd have for us to receive. Here we go. All right, now, this is hilarious because this is a prayer on a sermon that's getting ready to be united, we stand, and divided, we fall, right? Okay, but then he prays that the Holy Spirit will reveal to us the truth. Ladies and gentlemen, if the Holy Spirit was actively involved in revealing truth to believers, there would not be 45,000 different denominations. There wouldn't be 200. Hundred, There would not be thousands upon thousands of interpretations. You think if the Holy Spirit was revealing truth to believers, we would believe one thing about baptism, one thing about the Lord's Supper, one thing about salvation. We would literally even be able to agree on what the word repentance actually means. You think there wouldn't be a division between lordship and non-lordship. You think there wouldn't be, you, you would, people wouldn't be leaving the church all the time because guess what? 
the Holy Spirit's revealing things to us. And isn't it weird that while this church will pray, the Holy Spirit reveals something to us, there'll be another church three blocks away saying, the Holy Spirit reveals something to us, and they will both, those churches will come to completely radically different conclusions and both claim that the Holy Spirit's the one who led them to that truth. The Holy Spirit can be leading people to different truths. I want, I would love to believe that anytime I read my Bible, study my Bible, I can say, Holy Spirit, reveal to me the truth. Show me the truth. Help me understand it. Right? I, I want to believe that. It's such a natural way to pray because it's like part of our Christianese. It's our, it's the language. The issue is though, well, then guess what? Then I should come to the same conclusion you should come to because we have the same Holy Spirit. Our Lord, to uh, uh, to accept, uh, but also, Father, to uh, uh, to implement in our life this morning. I pray and ask God that where you are challenging us, I pray, God, that we would uh, surrender to you so you can change us. And for that, Father, we'll thank you, too. I pray, God, for victory in every family, every home uh, that's presented here this morning and those who are watching and those whose lives are touched by the lives that are here this morning as well. I pray and ask God to do something inside of us that cannot be undone by anyone else. And for that, Father, we'll praise you. And then, Lord God, if there's one among us who is not sure of their eternal destination, I pray and ask God to get itself this morning because death is sure and we will leave this earth at some point. But it's very important where we leave or where we go once we leave here. So I pray and ask God, if there's anybody here that has any concern I pray God they come to the altars today or talk to me at some point in time. And it'll be my privilege to show them from the word of God how to get it settled. Help some. You see that that's such a weird statement. Lord, if there's someone here who's not saved, I pray they would come to the altar so that I can show them. Are, are you telling God that or are you speaking to the people? Once again, are you are you claiming to be talking to God, but in reality, you're talking to the people there because all these people have their heads bowed and you're like, Hey, if you basically you're saying, if you're here today and you don't know if you're a Christian, come to me afterwards and I will show you from the word of God. But he's saying it as if he's saying it to God. It's such a weird, one of these, again, this is one of the, I, I, I so am not a fan of the prayer before a sermon and after a sermon. I'm not a fan of it because when, when I'm getting ready to preach, if I pray, it's almost inevitable I'm getting, a, I'm getting a head start on my sermon. I'm already starting to kind of put forth an illustration in my prayer. And then when my sermon is over, it's inevitable I'm just going to rehash the points I've already made. Well, when I'm doing that, am I literally, am I talking to God or am I still trying to talk to the people? I, 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 oh. But if you don't do it, you'll get it. You didn't pray. You didn't pray. You didn't pray. You didn't pray. Maybe because if I'm going to pray, I, I don't need you to hear me. I, I get that. I've been, I've been, I've received a couple of emails recently about, you don't pray on your podcast. You don't pray on your podcast. You need to hear me pray. Is that, is that the issue? You need to hear me pray. You, you need to hear it. So, yeah, it's, it's, I, uh, I understand there's a place for public prayer. I'm not saying there's not a place, but just whenever you pray, you've got to be talking to God. 
It's a conversation with God. It's not a conversation with the people listening. Or then your prayer becomes nothing more than for you to either use, uh, you're using God as an excuse to talk to the people or or you're just doing it to be seen or you're just doing it to check off a box. Because somebody needs your help. That's it for now, Father. For us in your son's name, we pray. Jesus, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Maybe see him. Uh, give me just a tiny bit of mic, just a little, little bit up here. Just a little bit up here. And I'll help my voice a little bit. The Bible says, the Bible says in verse number 25, if a house be divided against itself, it cannot stand. And as I was reading these scriptures and, 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 and meditating upon them, uh, one of the things I, I thought about was the phrase, united we stand, divided we fall. We've heard that phrase many a time. Uh, I want to find out what's the origin of that exact saying of united we stand, divided we fall. And uh, as I was researching, the phrase in its modern times is attributed uh, to the founding father by the name of John Dixon, uh, Dixon, uh, in his uh, pre-revolutionary war song called the Liberty Song in 1768. But of course we know that it is, is come from the word of God here in Mark chapter 3 verse 25 because uh, Abraham Lincoln, when he gave the speech uh, there uh, during the Civil War, uh, he referred to this verse and he said, if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. But he also goes on to say this, and I'll paraphrase it here, but he goes on to say this, the house will either go one way or it will go the other way. Now, my understanding is I thought the, the phrase divided we fall, united we stand, we divided we fall, is attributed to, like, it goes back to ancient Greek times, like the Aesop fables, I think. I think that's where I understood it to go back to, that it doesn't go back to one of our founding fathers. It goes back to ancient Greek um, I, I could be wrong. You can let me know what you find. Not that it really matters. It's just, if, if we're going to research it, we need to try to find out its direct origin. Now you could say the concept is obviously right here in Mark. So, but it, I'm assuming it's been a pretty common idea that's probably shown up in many places in history, but okay. All right, let, let's continue. And he was talking about slavery. And when you think about that, my dear friends, if you have a home, if you have a family that is divided, one's trying to go in one direction and one's trying to go in the other direction, you're going to have problems. Uh, There's going to be a divide. There is going to be a split there. Uh, That's why even the Bible teaches us that when we are to marry, uh, that we are to make sure that we are not unequally yoked. Uh, 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 We need to be going in the same direction. Uh, By the way, that don't mean just being Christians either. Uh, If you've got somebody that has a different belief system, even about Christianity, and you have a different one, my dear friends, you are going to have conflict. There's going to be a problem. And the Bible teaches us we have an enemy who wants to divide us and to conquer us, and his name is Satan. Run with me real quickly uh, over to uh, John chapter number 10 and verse uh, number 9. Look at John 10 uh, and verse number 9. I'm going to give you a few thoughts this morning, then we'll be headed somewhere to eat. Uh, but I just want to share this with you this morning as God was sharing it with me. Look at John 10, verse number 9. Uh, the Bible says... <laughs> I have to laugh. All right, we're going to get through this relatively quick so then we can go somewhere to eat. Okay, all right. And then and then he's going to share what the Lord has shared with him. Okay, those, I always hear that language. 
And I don't know if people in the pew ever catch on to that. It's so weird to me. People in the pew will have no problem when their pastor's like, God gave me this, or I was, I didn't know what to do, and God showed me this, or God led me to this, or God told me this. Whenever you hear a pastor say that, I don't know why the people in the pew don't immediately go, oh, wait a minute, 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 wait a minute. I've got to approach this sermon radically different than I approach other sermons, because if God told him this, if God led him to this, if God gave him the message, if God spoke to him, then there is no criticizing it. There's no disagreeing with it because it came from God. There's a level of infallibility to it. But Christians will listen to that, accept it and say amen, and then turn around and disagree. I'm like, how are you disagreeing? If God gave me the message, if God spoke to this, if this is what God shared with me, and I'm simply sharing with you what God shared with me, then you cannot disagree with it. You cannot question it. You cannot speak negatively of it. But Christians will hear that and then still turn around and then get mad, disagree, or even leave the church. How can you leave the church? God gives me my messages. How... It's so weird. Like sometimes we, I think we claim to believe something that we don't actually believe. All right, but here we go. 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 So I, he, oh, we're going to John chapter 10. I'm going to go John chapter 10. I'm curious to know where he's going to go here. All right, John chapter 10. I, I'm going to mark, I'm going to mark the mark passage. Okay, here we go. I'm going to move my pencil. I'm going to go to John 10. All right, here we go. Let's see where he's going to lead us. Oh, and so let, let's stop right, but hang on, before we move forward. All right. So the principles we've been given so far in this sermon are, hey, united we stand, divided we fall. He didn't really articulate it, but he gives us some basic examples. Hey, in anything, family, anything, if we are, if we are divided, it's going to be, it's going to be problems. Okay. We can agree with that. And then he is saying that the source of that division, what causes that, that our, our, let me state it this way. We have an enemy. His name is Satan, and he seeks to divide us. Now, I don't know, I don't think Mark 3 in any way, shape, or form is articulating that, but let's go with this basic hypothesis that Satan is roaming about seeking to divide. And so if he can divide, then we will crumble. We will fall. Now, if that is the case, if we put Satan as the mastermind behind division, schism, and disunity, then you could argue Satan has been extremely successful in what he's done within Christianity. Is he going, is he going to address the division within Christianity, or is he only going to address division that happens within your family, like in a more personal way? Let's see where he's going to go. What is he going to quote in John chapter 10? Here we go says this, Jesus said in verse 9, chapter 10 of John, Jesus says, I, I am the door. Yeah. By me, if any man enter in, watch it, watch it, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The word pasture here means feeding, food. He's going to take care of him. He goes on to say the thief comes not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus says, I am come that they might have life and that they may have it more abundantly. 
The enemy wants to destroy us, but Jesus, I came to give you life and to have it more abundantly. And my dear friends, we have a God that brings things together, but does not tear things apart. He is a God that brings stability in the midst of any home or, or any family. Okay, now wait, 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 wait. All right, we have a God that brings together, doesn't tear apart, brings together, does not separate, but bring together. Mm-hmm. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Let me, let me, let's just keep that, keep that in your, just keep that right now in your brain. That concept, that's his hypotheses. Hang on. I'm looking up a script, a scripture. All right. How about Matthew chapter 10? How about Matthew chapter 10? Matthew chapter 10. Now, his concept is Satan wants to destroy. Satan wants to tear apart. God wants to unite. God wants to bring together. But my Bible says in Matthew chapter 10, I believe, is it 34? Yeah, Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. Jesus speaking. Think not that I have come to send peace on the earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the mother-in-law against her her, her mother uh, uh, her daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Look, he, Jesus himself said, I did not come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. I came to bring division. Now, wait, he just said Jesus came to bring together. So did Jesus, is it Satan, the ones that wants to divide? Or is God brings the division? So what is the source of division? Is it Satan or is it God? Is there a Satan, a Satan created division? And is there a God created division? Now, I'm assuming he's going to he's going to remember here in a minute the Matthew passage. Like you can't say in your sermon, God, Satan wants to destroy and tear apart, but God wants to bring together. God wants to bring unity. Whoa, 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 whoa. I just literally read the very words of Jesus that seems to articulate a radically different approach. So which is it? But Satan wants to destroy divine and to conquer us. But I'm glad we've got a savior named Jesus. Go back with me to Mark chapter 3. We'll look at three things will be done. The first thing I want to talk about this morning is that a family divided cannot stand. Look at verse 25. The Bible says, and if a house be divided. The word house here in this verse also means family. It also means residence. Family, residence. Perhaps you may have a house or a residence where it might not be all family there. But guess what? (laughs) If you've got some folks living in your house that are going in a different direction that you are going into, then there is going to be something called division. It is going to be divided. The Bible is very clear. He goes on to say, 
And if a house or family or a residence be divided, the word divided here means to be disunited, to be separated into parts. He says, if it's divided against itself, its own self. The Bible says this, my friends. Watch it now. This is the truth. That house, watch it, cannot stand. The word cannot uh, means to be able, to be possible, to be a power. There's no way that it can stand. Now we'll say, well, no, we'll, we'll just let it go this way and let it go that way and it'll all work out. No, it ain't going to stand. I'll never forget uh, going and knocking on doors and inviting folks to church. And one time I went to this one house and a lady came to the door and I, and I was invited to Galilee Baptist Church. And, and she said, well, yeah, no, I'm a Christian, uh, but my husband, uh, he's a Muslim. And I said, okay, I said, well, can we take the kids to church? Well, what we're going to do is we're going to let them grow up and just decide on which one they want to do, whether it be Islam or whether it be Christianity. Now, the first thing that told me was this. Neither one of them apparently believe what they say they believe. You cannot, listen now, you study it out, baby. Listen, you cannot be wholeheartedly into Islam and be wholeheartedly into Christianity and think you're going the same way. The teachings are far different, my friends. Uh, Allah is not the same as Jehovah in the Bible. How do you know that, preacher? Listen, if I was to tell you uh, that I know a guy named Dennis Sampson, and Dennis Sampson is five foot three. He has no beard. He, uh, he can, uh, he can, uh, he can uh, run a uh, 10K. Now, yeah. Everybody will say, well, you ain't talking about Dennis Sampson lives here. Worships here. I said, but no, there's Samson. No, I'm describing to you somebody that is totally different uh, than the dead Samson you and I know. And my dear friends, when folks talk about we all worship the same God, no, we are not. When you look at the characteristics of Jehovah God, my friends, they are not the same as Allah. And when you think, when you even just stay it out, friends, listen, Islam came uh, six, seven hundred years after Christianity was even here. And when you study about Muhammad, uh, the man who, who really started the whole thing, uh, he was trying to correct things to make them the right way by taking the sword and putting it to somebody's neck and saying either, either Islam or death. That's not the God of the Bible. The Bible says that whosoever will, my friends, he doesn't force you to accept Christ as your Savior. It is by choice. So if you've got a home, and one says, well, I believe, well, I believe, and then whatever, I'm going to let the kids do whatever. Listen, apparently you don't believe wholeheartedly what you say you believe. If you believe that Jesus Christ, like the Bible says over Philippians, I mean, over in John 14, 6, Jesus says this, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's very clear. The only way to get to the Father is through the Lord Jesus Christ. My dear friends, the only way to get inside this church is either through this front door or that back door right there. There's no other doors to get inside of here. And the only way to get to Jesus, or get to the Father, is through Jesus Christ. What are you saying, preacher? The Bible is very clear. And if a house be divided against itself, that house that family, that residence cannot stand. It is not possible. But not only that. This okay, so he applies it to a family. He applies it to a family. It says a family cannot be divided. And the, the issue is you cannot be divided theologically, cannot be divided spiritually, or that family will collapse. Boom. All right. Now, I would still like to hear then... 
How do we understand that concept in light of Jesus himself? Let me go back to it. Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. I'm going to read it again. Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 34. Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. Jesus himself said, Think not that I've come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I'm come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. So Jesus came to cause division. So if there is a division that Jesus causes, yet a house cannot stand if it's divided, how do you reconcile these apparently irreconcilable ideas? It's something we have to do. So many times in preaching, we focus on one topic at the exclusion of other information that seems to call into contradiction said topic, and then we preach it that way. Everyone in the pew is like, amen, 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 amen. Later on, the other concept will be preached, and they'll be like, amen, amen, amen. And for some weird reason, the two concepts never come together in the minds of believers to go, wait a minute, I feel that we have a problem that we have not reconciled. Well, I'm not saying we can reconcile it today. But I'm definitely presenting the problem to you. There seems to be, if we believe Satan wants to divide and wants to tear apart. Now, of course, we haven't really found a passage yet that articulates that other than, I guess, if you're going to interpret the John 14 passage, that's Satan, who is the thief that comes to still kill and destroy. We could do a little bit of work on that to see if that holds uh, if that holds true. But let's just say for for argument's sake, that that is Satan, it still doesn't say divide. And Mark 3 still doesn't say that Satan is the one divide. Jesus is saying, if I'm casting out demons by the power of Satan, then the kingdom of Satan would be divided. And that doesn't make sense because we know a kingdom cannot stand if it's divided. It doesn't say Satan is trying to cause a division, but if you believe Satan causes division, then that means there are two kinds of division. When you see disunity and you see disruption, then there is the Satan-caused division, but then we have Jesus himself and Mark saying, I come to bring a sword. I come to cause division. So which, there, there, there's two different kinds. So how do we identify the kind? And then what do, what is our response to each kind of division? That to me seems to be like, like you have to discuss this if you're going to talk about this division. He just wants to go to the home and say, okay, you cannot be divided spiritually. Well, I agree. I do agree that that is a, an issue that I think shows up in many homes, right? Either you have two people who are married, who are who don't believe the same, right? You maybe have an unequally yoked situation, a believer and an unbeliever. But in many cases where you have supposedly two believers, there still seems to be a disconnect spiritually. There seems to be like this weird disconnect where you need the two people to come together, spirit, especially if they both claim to be believers, they should come together spiritually because now being coming together spiritually, you've got two people working together, moving everything towards the spiritual direction. Now, that, that, that should be advantageous just from a purely theoretical standpoint. Forget anything actual. Hey, there's God. Here we are. We're going to come together, not disunity, not disunity, but in unity. We're going to be united to move in that direction. Now you have unity 
and you have a common direction, that's got to be advantageous. That's got to be beneficial. That's got to be. But we could talk a lot about that, but we, we we want to see how far we can get in this. So here we go. Let's move from the family, so to speak, to the individual. The Bible calls us the body. Uh, The Bible says that we are the temple, the indwelling of God. You know what, my dear friends? If you and I are divided within our own selves, guess what? We're not going to stand. We're going to fall apart. Look with me over into James chapter 1 and verse number 8. Look at James chapter 1 and look at verse number 8. Look what the Bible says here. It's important, my dear friends, not to be divided in our own self, not to be divided in our own mind. James chapter 1. In verse number eight, the Bible says this uh, straight from the pages of God's word. The Bible says a double minded man is very stable. Oh, I'm sorry. The Bible says is unstable in all, not some, in all his ways. The word here, uh, double minded, uh, means, my friends, to be two spirited in opinion or purpose. If you are divided in your own self, the Bible says right here that you're going to be unstable. The word unstable also means to be restless. You're fighting with your own self. All right. Now, another one of those weird situations, right? Hey, we should not be divided, but there's two. Satan wants to divide. God wants to unite. But I just gave us a verse where Jesus says he comes to bring a sword, right? So, all right, now here, hey, we should not be divided within our own selves. But what is the reality? Are we not divided within our own selves? Isn't that the whole reason Paul's like, the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, those are the things I do. Didn't Paul end Romans chapter 7 by saying, with my mind, I will serve the law of God, but with my flesh, I'll serve the law of sin? Are we not? Is that not the very reason that we are unstable in all of our ways? Are we not unstable in all of our ways? Because we do we not have a sinful nature? We may be saved, but we still have a sinful nature. We still have a depraved nature. And do we not have a conflict between our positional reality and our practical reality? Positionally, I am perfect. I am holy and I am righteous because of an imputed righteousness. That's my, that's my positional standing, my practical standing, sinful nature, and I still sin. Is it that not, does that not explain in depth, why we are so unstable, where one minute we're like, praise Jesus, and I'm going to study my Bible, and I want to listen to sermons, and I want to go to church, and the next minute we're thinking about, I don't know what, that which we're not supposed to think about, and desiring that which which we we cannot have. Do we not all experience that? I mean, we may want to pretend that we don't. Are we not, is not the reality that we are divided? There is a never constant battle between our flesh and our, and our, and our, and our, I guess we'll call it our salvation. Do we not have that internal struggle? I think there is a, a, an instability built into all of us. Let, let's see if he's going to address this. That's why it's so important for us, my friends, to have the same mind that Christ had, which it says over in Colossians, uh, chapter number three. Listen, my dear friends, the enemy wants to divide us on the inside of ourselves and destroy us and to pull us apart. I remember when uh, 
our kids were small, and they're now adults now. When our kids were small, uh, me and Joelene, uh, we would talk amongst ourselves. If one of them came to me or one came to Joelene and asked, could they do something? Then we'd say, well, hold on. Let me ask your dad or let me ask your mom. And what we would do, my friends, we'd come together and we would talk about it. Because, my dear friends, if we don't talk about it, I, I may say, well, yeah. And then Joelene said, well, I thought you was going to say no. I said, well, I, I, I didn't know. And then sometimes, now I know it's going to shock some of y'all parents, but your children seek, seek to divide and conquer you. Amen. If mama won't let me, I'm going to go to daddy. If daddy won't let me, I'm gonna, y'all know what I'm talking about now. I'm going to go to mama. That's why it's so important to be on the same page. I know, forget, uh, when, I was, when we were little, uh, me and Pam, growing up, and I asked my mom, uh, can I spend the night at my cousin's house? And she said, yeah, that was okay. And then my sister, she went and asked my dad. I didn't know she asked him. She asked my dad after the fact. And then he, uh, he said, okay, it comes time to leave uh, from the gathering we're at, and I'm heading over to my cousin's. My dad's like, where you going? I said, well, I'm going to spend the night over that house. Uh, uh, mom said I could go. He said, no, both of y'all can't go. Uh, Pam asked me, so she's going, you, you can't go. I'm like, but, but I asked first. Man, I was like, this is not right. I'm protesting, amen. I mean, this is not right. I know, forget it, Pam got to go. And I remember sitting in the car, and I remember going back to the house, and I'm sitting there just crying. <laughs> My dad like, be quiet. I'm like, boy, be quiet. And then all of a sudden, wham! It's amazing how you can get quiet after a wham. <laughs> and I was silent. All of a sudden, all the tears, all that stuff just went away, amen. But you know what, my friends? That's why it's so important to talk together. Let me show you something that David said. Look at me over to Psalm 133. Look at Psalm 133. And look at verse number one. Now, 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 now many scholars believe that David wrote this psalm after Absalom, his own flesh and blood, his own son had tried to take the kingdom, tried to take the kingdom away from David. When his own son tried to kill him, and listen what David said in Psalm 133 and verse number one. David said this: "It said a song of degrees of David elevation. Behold, watch what David says: How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in what." Unity, united, it is like the precious ointment, the perfume or the, or the, the, the oil uh, upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard that went down to the skirts of his garments as the dew of Hermon and as the dew uh, that descended upon the mountains of Zion. For there, watch it, for there, the Bible says, the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. I wonder what blessings are we missing when our home is divided, when our family is divided. I wonder what blessings that you and I are missing in the midst of our families. Listen, my dear friends, the Bible says here, behold, how good, how sweet, how delightful, how pleasant for brethren to dwell in unity. It's a good thing to dwell together in unity. Go back with me. Go back with me to Mark chapter number three. So we're talking about the family divided cannot stand. The individual divided cannot stand. But watch this, friends. The church, watch it now. The church divided cannot stand. 
Okay, now this is going to get interesting. Okay, so he didn't really explain the house part because he didn't bring in the Matthew. Like he didn't, he, 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 he talked about the house being divided, but he didn't explain why Jesus said in Matthew, he aimed to divide. Obviously re- referencing relationships that would be very much the home. He didn't, he didn't articulate how we can't be divided within ourselves, but he doesn't exp- explain, well, we are divided within ourselves, right? So none of that is, 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 I, I still don't understand. I, I still don't understand. But okay, okay, we'll set that aside because now he gets to the church. Oh, this should be good. This should be good. This should be good because I, I've started by articulating to you the reality in which you live. Thousands upon thousands of denominations around the world. Churches don't agree literally on anything. So this is going to be very interesting to see now how... Well, this works. How does this work? Let's find out. The Bible says that we are the body of Christ. The church is the ecclesia, the called out ones. But my dear friends, what Satan seeks to do is to divide us and to conquer us. He wants us to be at one another. He wants us to be fighting each other. He wants us to try to choke and to discourage one another. But watch what the Bible says here. Go with me to Galatians chapter number three. Galatians uh, chapter number three. I'm sorry, chapter five and verse 14. Galatians five, verse number 14. Look what the Bible says here. In Galatians 5 and verse number 14, no, verse 15, the Bible says this. But, Galatians 5, verse 14. Well, we might be real, we'll just read 14. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this. What is that? Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But, uh oh, if. Mm-hmm, Ye, talk to the believers here, bite and devour one another. Take heed that you be not consumed one of another. Let's break it down. That word bite here uh, means to also to frustrate or uh, to baffle a plan or a purpose. It also means to wound the soul. It means uh, to cut or to lacerate. He says, listen. If you are biting each other, if you're devouring each other, devour here now means to eat one another. He says, take heed, beware that you not be consumed, destroyed one of another. You want to destroy your family? You want to destroy your church, your place of worship? Start biting on each other. Start eating on each other. Start devouring on each other. You know what happens then, my friends? There won't be any blessings. There won't be any victories. Our folks will come in the way they came and leave the same way uh, that they came. Uh, They won't be rescued. Uh, They won't be delivered because God's presence uh, will not be amongst us because we are divided. Uh, We are biting each other. Uh, We won't even shake hands with each other. We won't pray for one another. My dear friends, the Bible says we'll destroy. Okay, so if disunity within the church removes God's power, removes God's blessing, God will not work. So then what do we do here? 
Do we then ignore the fact of the division and say this only refers to one local congregation? Like, as long as one local congregation is unified, even if they are separated from all the other congregations in the area, God will then bless that church because they are at least unified amongst themselves. Does God only call for unity amongst one individual group or does he call for unity amongst the entire body? Now, what we say is we, we're an invisible body, so we're unified, even though we're not really unified. So is it, I, I don't know exactly how this is supposed to work. Hey, hey, if we're not unified, God's not going to do this or this or this or this or this. Okay, well, Christianity is not unified. Well, I'm okay, but, but that doesn't matter. Just set that aside. We are unified positionally. Practically, we don't need to be unified. That's so, that's irrelevant. As long as we're unified in one local congregation. But how unified is a local congregation? Now, I think a local congregation goes through periods of perceived unity, but that perceived unity typically is short-lasting unless the pastor is very good at never saying that which will rock the boat, not doing theology, because if you do theology, you're putting forth theological hypotheses, you're questioning, you're challenging, you're just going to end up in chaos there. Trust me, don't be a church that does theology. That was the worst decision I ever made when I'm like, hey guys, we've been learning theology, now we do theology. Yeah, that was a disaster of epic proportion, because if you just teach theology— you just pick the theology that everyone in your church agrees with, right? Like, And then if you can get everyone in agreement, then you just keep teaching and rehashing that theology. You never challenge, you never question. But if you start doing theology, well, then you're going to get disunity because as soon as someone doesn't like what they hear, <laughs> and then they're going to leave, okay? Because that's what they do. That's what they do. All right. So I don't even know if perceived local unity is very long lasting. So, okay. All right. So I, I, I don't know how this is supposed to work. Let's see if he's going to explain it because we need some, we need some kind of, I need to, I look, Hey, don't be divided in your home. Don't be divided with yourself. He didn't explain the obvious struggles with those two realities. Okay. Now, how about this one? Well, hopefully he explains the reality that the church is divided and insanely. So let, let's see one another. I don't know about you, but like it says, united we stand, divided we fall. We need, I know we don't want to hear this, we need each other. Let me show you. Go with me to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12 and verse number 22. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 22. I know how we know we get to talk about, I don't need nobody. Okay. All right. All right. All right. This is what the Bible says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 22. Paul's talking to the church. He says in verse number 22 of 1 Corinthians. Uh, I'm kind of laughing because he's talking so much and he's starting to breathe. <laughs> I, know, I, know, I know sometimes I do that in the podcast. I'll be getting so excited and all of a sudden I realize, man, I'm losing, I'm losing my breath here. Like I, I need to take a deep I need to take a deep breath. He he needs to take a deep breath for a second. <laughs> but hey, I love the enthusiasm. I love the, I would rather a pastor lose your breath, getting enthusiastic and passionate about it than those who are like, turn to 1 Corinthians 12, verse 22. God wants us to be unified because we need each other. Like, you know, yeah, I would rather a little bit of passion here. All right, but okay. Now he's going to go to 1 Corinthians 12. 
But is he going to acknowledge the fact that even 1 Corinthians is a letter written to a church that was extremely divided? Okay, so like, all right, all right, here we go. Corinthians chapter 12, he says, nay, no, much more those members of the body which seem, which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable upon these, we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely uh, parts have no need. Well, comely here, I mean, excellent or elegant, rather, or well-informed. He says, for our comely parts have no need, but God, watch it, watch it, watch it. But God have tempered the body together. The word tempered means to unite, to commingle. He has commingled the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacketh. Oh, he says, that there should be no schism. No division, no split in the body, but that the members should have the same, oh my soul, the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, oh my soul, to experience pain, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all members rejoice with it. Know ye now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. That means a sign to one. Listen. And if you read the whole, the whole uh, chapter there, somebody's a hand, somebody's a foot, somebody's an ear, somebody's an eye. But they're all important. They're all necessary. If you don't say, well, I don't care about my eyes. If you can't see which way to go, you're going to have difficulty. So I don't care about my feet. When you have no more feet, you realize how necessary they were. What are you saying, preacher? Every single person that's a part of the body of Christ is important. You say, well, listen, this one has a more financial uh, means than this one right here. They're all important in the body of Christ. Well, this one is from a different background uh, than this one right here. But listen, they're all apart and important to the body of Christ. But as soon as we start cutting each other, what happens, my friends, is we'll fall apart and there will not be uh, a unity, but there will be division. What are you saying, preacher? We have an enemy. That wants to destroy us. How was Rome defeated? From within. No nation was able to conquer Rome. But Rome itself. And finally, when you study it all out, it came down to it. They lost the will to fight. At, at one point, they had to hire, were hiring missionaries. Or, sorry, <laughs> they needed missionaries. They, they were hiring mercenaries. To fight their battles. But guess what? A mercenary is only in it for the money. For the money. Listen, my dear friends. Let's not be destroyed from inward. You want to have a strong church? We need a strong family. We need a strong home. We need a father and a mother that's united, a husband and a wife that's united. We need people, my dear friends, that are not torn apart this way and that way, but are drawn closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if not, my dear friends, all of a sudden, it'll begin to dissipate. It'll begin to crumble. It'll begin to fall apart. And God says, no, 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 there's no way. There's no way you can stand if you are divided. One of the greatest things a husband and wife can do together is to pray. 
I will not ask you to raise your hands, but I will ask each of us to ask ourselves as a husband, as a wife, do I pray with my spouse? But I don't want, I like to pray by myself. There's a time for that. The Bible talks about it. But then there's also a time of corporate prayer. There's also a time when husbands and wives pray together. And also to pray, if you got children, pray with your family. Pray with your children. Talk to God. Listen, it's something about it. It's, listen, it's kind of hard to be fussing and fighting when you're talking to your family father together. I mean, you both get there to the altar, or if you can't kneel, sit down, whatever the case might be. Oh, I don't know. You start talking to your daddy. I mean, I'm not talking about superficial. I'm not talking about that. Okay, uh, let's see. Uh, Lord, you've been great. You've been good. You've been blah, blah, blah. You start getting down to the nitty gritty. Lord, you know we're struggling. You know our marriage is, is not what we both want it to be. But God, help us. Not, not like this. We pretend I'm Randall. <laughs> Lord, you know Sarah could be a better wife. Oh, God, you know. If she would just listen and do what I tell her to do. Woo! Glory to <laughs> hell. What's going to happen while you're praying? You'll feel something come inside your head. And then all, <laughs> then all of a sudden, you got a fight going on. But you know what? When you are talking together, there's something about And guess what? The enemy don't want you praying together. He don't want that to take place. He wants things to fall apart, but we've got a God that does not want us to be divided. Let me give you this quickly. How, preacher, what is, a, what is a way that you and I cannot be divided? Go back with me. Now, he, he kind of reverted back to the home. So he went from the home to the, to the individual to the church, reverted back to the home, and he went back to the home because saying the home is the key to keeping the church from being divided. But he, and none of those areas did he address one, the home, the Matthew 10, 34 to 36 passage where Jesus says, I came to bring a sword, sounding like to literally divide. He did not deal with the reality that we are divided as individuals because we still have a sinful nature. And he did not even deal with the reality that the church is one of the most divided institutions on the face of the planet. There is no unity. There is no, there is no agreement on anything. So if that's the case, then how do we understand this passage about Jesus saying, hey, a kingdom divided cannot stand? Well, then... How do we understand Christianity? Does Christianity stand because of our practical unity? Clearly it doesn't because we're disunified. Or is, does it stand because of another reason? So what, what was this just a, like, well, so what was Jesus, like, w w is Jesus just making a practical argument that, hey, theoretically, it makes no sense for me to be casting out demons if I'm of Satan because Satan wouldn't cast out demons? Is he just trying to make kind of a theoretical argument here? Or is he taking something, giving us this great doctrinal understanding of division and, and, and unity and we're supposed to build the sermons from, but we, if we build sermons from it, we have to then deal with the very reality that the very thing we call Christianity is utterly and helplessly divided and broken and that it will never, ever, 
ever, under any circumstance, return to any even a hint of unity because we're so individual. I can't speak for other countries, but here in the United States of America, it's definitely not going to happen. And now that I mean, look, the Protestant Reformation it it took a a you know a thousand pounds of explosive and blew that dam apart, and the floodwaters of complete individualistic me, myself, and I, me and the Bible determines truth alone uh, came pouring into the church. And we're never going to put that dam and get the water back in. It's gone. And so I, 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 it still doesn't answer my questions. What exactly do we do with this reality? What is Jesus saying? A kingdom divided cannot stand. Well, then how does that relate to, well, my own self and to Christianity? Now, let's see if he offers up just kind of a concluding point here. To uh, Galatians chapter 5. Go back. Here's, here's one way. Go to Galatians chapter 5. Back over there. And look at verse number 14 again. Verse 14 again. Galatians uh, chapter number 5. And look what the Bible says here. The Bible says in verse number 14. For all the law is fulfilled, which also means to be influenced. And one word, what's that preacher? Even this, tell us, tell us. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The first way is to love one another. Oh, what? Do we love each other as we love ourselves? See, if we love each other as we love ourselves, we're not going to treat each other bad. I mean, you don't walk around slapping yourself, do you? I mean, <laughs> kicking yourself. I mean, you don't. Listen, think about what I'm saying. If we love each other like we love our own self, then, my dear friends, we'll treat each other better. We'll give each other the benefit of the doubt. It's just so hilarious. So the solution is we'll just love one another. If we love one another, we won't have a divided home. If we love one another, don't know how that really fits with ourselves, but okay, we, we'll, we'll, we won't have a divided church. All we have to do is love one another. That's all we have to do. We'll just love one another. All the division in the church will go away. Well, first of all, even if we love one another, the division will not go away because we are divided in the fact that we can't even agree on how to interpret the Bible. We can't even agree on what a word repentance means. We can't even agree on what baptism is or isn't. Now, how we handle that division would be different. The division would remain. We would hopefully respond and handle it in a much more godly way. So loving one another actually would not fix the division within the church. And not only that, can we ever fulfill that law to love one another as we love ourselves? Can we ever? I know I will argue we cannot fulfill that. We never can. We never will. That law is there to show us that we can't, but Christ did. And then in Christ, we fulfill that law positionally, but not practically. Man, I am so thankful uh, that God taught me that a long time ago. Give a person the benefit of the doubt. But instead of going to the negative, oh, I know why they did this. Do you really? Yeah. How do you know? Well, I, 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 how? But I, listen, did they tell you that? Why don't you go ask It's amazing how a lot of things can be resolved when you find that there was a misunderstanding. And a lot of times there's miscommunication. 
People are not, they're talking, but they're not communicating. Listen, my dear friends, let's give each other the benefit of the doubt. He says to love each other. And it says, love thy neighbor as thyself. That word love here means a love feast. That means it's not just like, I love you, sister. A love feast. That means it's full of love. I mean, it's all over the town. A feast. I love, not, 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 not a lying feast, amen, not an attacking feast, not a bitter feast. Now, some of you have bitter feasts. You can tell, they, they, you get around them, the whole spirit is bitter. What's wrong? What's right? <laughs> oh, the sky's blue. Oh, the sun's on. Yeah, but it's going down soon. What is this? Not only that, I mean, not only loving one another, watch this. He says, for all the laws fulfilled in one word, even this, that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another. The second thing, my dear friends, is let's not wound one another. I mean, I, all of this is just that practical stuff. Hey, love one another and don't hurt each other. Okay, this is all like practical stuff, which you wish would happen. But obviously it never has fixed well, it's not going to fix the issue. So I'm going to I'm going to let you go find the rest of that if you so desire. In fact, let me see if I have it here. I think I downloaded it on the Sermons 2.0 app so I can point you in the right direction. You only have about 10 minutes of it left. You only have about 10 minutes of it left if you would like to go listen to it. Let me see if I, I, may, I may not have saved it. No, I did not save it. Um, I did not. It's called United We Stand. United We Stand by Clemen Chappell. Uh, Clemen Chappell, C-H-A-P-P-E-L-L. United We Stand, if you want to go listen to that for, the for well, it was part of my Sermons 2.0 app challenge, right? One of the random sermons, but it doesn't really address the issue. So let me break it back down and then leave it. Um, and we, we, we haven't come up with a solution. Now, now remember, this whole week, we're trying to work on the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit in Mark chapter 3. But I told you to do an observational outline of Mark 3, 20 through 30, right? And one of that, that very first part is this divided part, this divided part. Now, to me, Jesus is just using this more just to make a practical argument. Hey, you're telling me I'm casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub? That doesn't make any sense, right? Because it would be Satan casting out Satan. What would be the point of doing that? And if a kingdom is divided, it's going to fall. I don't know if I'm supposed to take that and extrapolate from that some grand theory on division and unity within within life itself. I don't know if I'm supposed to do that, but let's argue that we do. If we do that, and let's go with his threefold division, we cannot be divided in our homes. Okay, well then, you have to at least explain to me because, well, his ultimate theory is Satan wants to divide. So Satan is trying to divide. And the first place he tries to divide is in the home. Well, then we have to at least take into account Matthew. We have to take into Matthew chapter 10, where Jesus himself said that he came to bring a sword to divide. So if Satan is trying to divide, to divide, Jesus himself says he did not come to bring peace, but to bring a sword to divide. So then we have to understand that there would be a satanic influenced division or a God influenced division. How do we distinguish between the two? And then how does that work in our homes? 
right? So that's second. He talked about a division within ourselves. Well, we are divided within ourselves because even if you are a Christian, you still possess a sinful nature. Positionally, let me stress that. You are a new creature. The old is gone and all is new. Practically, that is not true. The old is still very much present and you still have a sinful nature. So there is a division within ourselves of our positional standing and our practical reality. There is a division within ourselves that we still have a sinful nature and we are saved, but we still have a sinful nature. And that is that fight. That's We see it in Romans chapter 7. That's why Paul ends Romans 7. Everyone forgets how he ends that. With my mind, I'm going to serve the law of God, but with my flesh, I'm going to serve the law of sin. That division is still there, which makes us unstable. He did not acknowledge that reality or even tell us how to deal with that. Then lastly, he talks about division within the church. Now, I agree. We don't want division in the church. So what do we do? Well, first, we have to acknowledge the reality of the division in the church. (laughs) So what is? how do we understand when Jesus says, hey, a kingdom divided will not stand? Well, then how do we understand the church? Because the practical reality, the church is divided. 45,000 denominations globally, according to some sources, 200 different denominations in the United States of America. That doesn't even come in anywhere close, counting all the different independent churches and you know, autonomous churches. And all. we could go, we could, just those numbers become even bigger the more you break them down. And it's just total disunity, spiritual anarchy, chaos. Everyone does theology and, and the way that's right in their own eyes. We can't agree on anything. That's just a reality. So how do we understand, hey, we can't stand if we are divided. We are divided. Now, once again, within, I think in, in a weird way, the church is a lot like we are, there's a, re, there's a positional reality and there's a practical reality. And a positional reality, we are in Christ, therefore we, there is unity in Christ. But that unity doesn't mean anything practically because practically we're an absolute total mess. It's total chaos, anarchy. We don't agree on anything. So do how do we take the words of Mark 3 and do anything practically with them? How, do What do we do with that? I don't know if I have a good answer. Do I just understand that Jesus, Jesus here wasn't trying to teach me everything we need to know about division and unity. He's just simply trying to say, hey, guys, you can't accuse me of casting out demons by the power of Satan because that means Satan's kingdom would be divided and well, a, a kingdom divided cannot stand. He's just trying to say, just thinking about this from a practical standpoint, your argument makes no sense. And that, he's not trying to say anything beyond that. In other words, I, I, I know I, I'll, I'll try to use this as an illustration. Sometimes we have this problem with the Bible. Sometimes we have a, a, a section, a narrative or a dialogue, and there's just a point that's trying to be made. But instead of trying to take the point, we grab onto it and we try to turn it into something more. And I'll, I'll give you an example. Sometimes in preaching, you try to make a point, Right. And the point is very obvious to the, to the context of your sermon, right? Hey, here's what I'm trying to make. Here's the point I'm trying to make. And then you'll get an email going, well, if you said this, da, 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 and you're like, whoa, 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 no, 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 no. I was just trying to make a simple point about this one thing. It wasn't supposed to go, what do you, and this happens even in our own personal conversation. You say something, but you're like, oh, well, if you said this, then you mean this and you mean, whoa, slow, what? No, 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 no. Look at the context. I was simply saying this. Don't take from that and extrapolate 17 other points. I was simply trying to make one point. Jesus is trying to make one point. Your argument. 
And your accusation that I cast out demons by the power of Satan is ridiculous just from the basis that that would mean Satan is fighting against himself, which doesn't make any sense, right? I don't know if we're supposed to do anything beyond that. Because if I am, I have to look at how this impacts Christianity. So how does the disunity of Christianity, the total disunity within Christianity? I mean, we don't agree on anything. And I know I'm going to get emails. We, we agree on a lot. Give me a break. Well, no, we don't. When, when, when the church can't agree on baptism, what it is or isn't, we can't agree on the Lord's Supper. We can't agree on church structure. We don't agree on salvation. We, no, there's just total disunity. How does that fact come into play with what Jesus is saying in Mark 3? Now, I'll stop right there. Remember, you're sp supposed to find three random sermons on Sermons 2.0 app about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Try to summarize their teaching on it. You're supposed to be doing an observational ex or an observational outline, kind of as a Bible study exercise on Mark 3, 20 through 30. And, uh, well, you work on that and let me know what you discover. We went 79 minutes and that felt wonderful. I, I only almost started coughing one time once I, once I muted the mic to listen to the rest, to, you know, to, uh, to listen to more of that sermon. I started coughing one time. Overall, that's pretty good. Someone with COVID, getting at the end of my, this round of COVID, I felt pretty good. So I'm going to now stop, take a break, find food, and I'm almost positive we'll be back at some point today. We'll see. We'll see how my voice goes. But I'm glad that I feel confident. I feel confident that I'm on, I'm, I'm turning the corner. So we'll see. All right. Hopefully that was beneficial. I know that left us with more questions than answers, but I don't know if the passage has a simple answer. All right. And if, well, just email me anything. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. For all of those who've emailed me while I've been sick, thank you very much for encouragement, help, whatever you've offered. And for those who've been sending me sermons, thank you very much. Um, I will review uh, some of them, hopefully. Uh, there's one I, someone said uh, that I definitely need to review. So I'll definitely will try to review that. Um, as soon as I can. All right. Thank you very much. Everyone have a great day. Mark chapter 3, 20 through 30. Love to get your thoughts on it. God bless.